Okay, disciple-making, not always a cookie-cutter process. Uh, I have a question for you. If, if this were the last time that you were going to ever talk to someone, um, what would you tell them? You know, if it's, uh, it's depending on the situation and, and the person you're talking to. I mean, the person, it might be a loved one, or if it's a, just an acquaintance, it would be totally different what you're going to say to them. Um, of course, the situation and what you're leaving. Maybe you expect to come back, or maybe you're lying on your deathbed. It would be totally different. What would you say? What would you do? Personally, I would want to tell them the things that are most dear to my heart. Um, I just got back from Austria, and that was a really great trip, and you'll hear about that in the next couple of weeks. We'll give you a report uh, for the language camp. Well, as you know, I was gone for 12 days, and Judy does not do well being alone. Not, not good at all. So I tried to help out. I left her some notes for her, uh, just to, as she could go throughout the week, she would find them, and I would express how I loved her. Um, I wrote one note on the milk carton. As she opened up the refrigerator, grabbed out the milk carton, I wrote a magic, with magic marker, uh, make sure you check the expiration, and remember, my love for you has no expiration. Uh, pretty mushy, right? Yeah? Well, before you think of me as this, uh, you know, great, great uh, um, love man, you know, with, uh, before you think too highly of me, um, you should know that uh, I also wrote one on the toilet seat and it said, smile. <laughs> So if your last words, what would you want to express? What's the most important thing? What about Jesus? What were his last words to his close friend and his family before he left? We're so fortunate we have the, the scriptures, the Bible, to give us a record. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they give us those records of Jesus' last words. And most likely, the most famous of all is, is Matthew 28, what we refer to as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is called the Great Commission. You could also call it the Great Instruction, the Great Command, the great directive, the great charge, or the great assignment, whatever word you want to use. Jesus knew these words would be very important. He also knew that the disciples would be recording these last words. And he knew that they would be read for generations to come. In fact, he knew that we would be studying it today. Knowing this, we need to take these words really seriously. So what does Jesus want us to do? His assignment that he gave to us in verse 19 says, we are to make disciples of all nations. And that's what I want us to look at today, disciple-making. I think it's really cool how God always puts things together. Last week, if you were here, Mike spoke, 
and he spoke on Christianity and kind of four different things, uh, principles for Christian lives. And he said, prayer, study, generosity, and evangelism, if you remember those. So let's build off of that last one. And you could, you could say, instead of evangelize, you could say disciple-making. How can we be disciple-making? This is not an easy task for most of us. We have to work on it because most of the time it just doesn't come real naturally to us, does it? As the message in the title for our sermon today, it says, disciple-making, not always a cookie-cutter process. But as we'll discuss shortly, maybe cookie-cutting could be used in disciple-making. You never know. Before we go any further, I think it's important to talk about what a disciple is. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Can we be a disciple of Jesus? Should we be a disciple of Jesus? The answer is yes and yes. So let's look quickly at a disciple. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower. This person has listened and studied to a certain person or a group and they've deemed them worthy of following. They believe the philosophy and the direction that this person or group is going, and they believe in them. Becoming a disciple doesn't happen instantly, hardly ever. It usually takes hours, weeks, months. Most of the time it takes years before someone will buy into what or where this group or person is going. A disciple of Jesus is a believer that wants to follow him. Think about it. When Jesus went around and he asked these men, come and follow me, were they immediately called Jesus' disciples? I can imagine that if the people saw them at the beginning of of Jesus' ministry, they'd see these group of guys walking down the road and they would think, oh, there goes some guys on a business trip or or there goes some fishermen, because more than likely they look like fishermen. This is what I want us to think about today. People are in all sorts of different stages with Jesus. When Peter, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, those guys, had started following Christ, were they true disciples? Did they know everything about Jesus? Had they really bought into his ministry totally? No, I I think at that point... I would call it the inspection stage. They were curious. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to see what he could do. But they were not his disciples. They they weren't ready to lay down their lives for him at that point. They barely knew him. When Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I doubt that Peter really grasped what Jesus was asking him. Peter was in the inspection stage. He was curious and he wanted to learn more about this man. However, I don't think Peter called him Lord and Master at this point. Peter was just not ready to be a disciple maker. He had a long ways to go. So people are at all sorts of different stages regarding Jesus. Some know nothing about Jesus. They have never heard his name. Believe it or not, there's people out in the world that had never heard his name. Some people have heard of Jesus, and but their knowledge is really limited. 
Some have heard that Jesus can save them and give them eternal life. This is what is called the gospel, the good news. Some people have heard the gospel and understand Jesus, but are thinking about it. And here's where that inspection stage is. They're thinking about it. Some understand who Jesus is, but reject him for whatever reason. They just they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Some have heard the gospel and have accepted him as Savior. Some people are on fire for Jesus, but then they cool off and they kind of stay on the fence the rest of their Christian life. Some people mature very slowly but steadily over time. Some people have growth spurts where they'll grow real fast and then they'll kind of plateau and then grow real fast again. And then there's some people that are just always sold out for Jesus. Can you relate to those, to those, uh, those people in those stages? I'm sure we can put names to many of them. And, and there's probably books that are written on, but I, I think you get the picture. There's many, many stages. When we were in Vienna, a city of two million people, I, just walking around, you, you knew that there were people that had no clue who Jesus was. They'd never heard his name. I think in the States, we are... Uh, very fortunate, and I think a lot of people know who Jesus is just because their grandma or, you know, someone's talked to him about Jesus. But it's really sad because I think our, our country is sliding more and more away from Jesus. But no matter where you go, we will find all different stages regarding Jesus. People are all different stages. My main question for us to think about today is, if Jesus wants me to be a disciple maker, what does it take to be one? What did it take for Peter to become a disciple maker? Peter watched Jesus 24-7 for about three years. He listened to Jesus. He watched Jesus do miracles. He, he watched Jesus live life. He studied Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, we have a great luxury in our world today, and that is the Scriptures. Not only do we have the, the Bible at our fingertips, but we've got people who have studied the Scriptures. They have uh, commentaries and other study helps that you can look at online and, and so forth. It's just uh, a lot of material out there. So in order for us to be effective disciple-makers, it's critical that we study Jesus. Studying the scriptures is critical for our Christian life. Now let's talk a little bit about these stages regarding Jesus. Just like Peter and the rest of the disciples were observers or inspectors at the beginning of his ministry, so are people in our world today. The question is, as a disciple-maker, how do we get people interested in Jesus? How do we do that? Sometimes we can be talking to a total stranger on the bus or, uh, you know, on the street, and God opens up a door and we share about Jesus. And uh, they understand the gospel immediately. That's, that happens, but it's rather rare. To be honest, most of the time it takes time, effort, and prayer. People... Or disciple-making is not always a cookie-cutter process. Each person is different, and they will respond, re, respond to the 
gospel in different ways. Some people have been looking for something in their life. They've got that void in their life and that emptiness. And then you come along and you present that gospel and they follow it immediately. Some people have been burned for whatever reason. Uh, You know, something happened many years ago and they have this trust issue. So it's going to take a long time for people to turn around and, and trust Jesus. I think we put too much pressure on ourselves sometimes that, you know, when we present the gospel, that person should just turn around right away. Sometimes it takes building a relationship with that person and then pray that, that Holy, the Holy Spirit moves in their heart and their lives. At some point in Jesus' ministry, Peter got it. He understood and he believed and he accepted who Jesus was. Jesus tested him, and we read that in in Matthew 16. Jesus tested him by asking Peter who he is. He said, Matthew 16, 13 through 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man am. So they said to him, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And he said to them, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter got it. He and many of the other disciples, they bought into, they understood what Jesus was teaching specifically that he was sent from God to save the world from death as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But now let's stretch this thought a little bit further. Do you think Peter and the disciples were done with their discipleship training? Were they all of a sudden ultimate disciples? No. They had just begun on their disciple training journey. Jesus had so much more to teach them. So here's where I'd like to go with us this morning. The disciple-making journey doesn't end when a person has accepted Jesus as their Savior and committed their lives to them. It's just begun. Peter's last words recorded for us in 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter encouraged us to to grow in Jesus, in in knowledge. Disciple-making doesn't end when someone just comes to Christ. That's just the beginning. We are all in Christ's disciple-making program. As long as we are alive and breathing, we should be attempting to grow in Christ. Pastor Gary does an excellent job to convey this, doesn't he? He does an excellent job to give our church a disciple-making vision. Our vision statement, or our mission statement, I should say, refers to it. Advancing the kingdom of God by reaching and developing people for God. We can see two steps in the disciple-making process. The first one is reaching people for God, and then... The second step is to develop them for God. Since this is looking at the church, 
we, uh, we can look at some intentional ways that the Scripture teaches us about intentional uh, ways to disciple people. So let's look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a great record of how the early church dealt with some growing pains and discipleship. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7 says, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nic- Nic- Nanor, Timian, some really, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on him. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great mem- many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What I understand from the scriptures here is that, yes, there are those that preach and teach the gospel, and that is so super critical. But I also understand that there's people that minister in different ways. Here, specifically, we see men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They, they were very good men. What were they doing? They were feeding the hungry so that the disciples didn't have to serve tables. Can I be honest with you this morning? Preaching to adults is not my cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea. I don't like tea either. But <laughs> preaching like this is not my cup of tea. It doesn't come natural to me to, to talk and to teach. I have to work at it. And as you know, I, I write everything down. Everything that I'm saying to you is pretty much is word for word what I've written down. Otherwise, I lose my train of thought. Plus, pl- please understand that I, I don't have all the answers today. Most of the time when I pick out something that I want to talk about, it's something I want to learn more about. Maybe you're not so thrilled with this. Maybe you're not so thrilled with my preaching. In fact, maybe you feel like I felt about this bird this spring. I had this beautiful songbird that started singing every spring and every day in the spring. It was this tweet, tweet, tweet. It started at 4 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> right when it was dawn. And, and it started waking me up, and then I timed it. And the little bugger chirp, 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 every five seconds. I'm not kidding. I actually timed it. Five seconds. Over and over and pretty soon, yeah, it wasn't so great. And I told my son about it. I wasn't going to shoot it, but he tried to go shoot it. He missed it. He couldn't, couldn't get the little bugger. And 
I took that as kind of a sign, and, and I thought about it, and I thought, this is God's creature. And he's just rejoicing, right? He's just speaking praise to God. So I changed my mind. Either that or I went deaf, and I let it go. So I don't know if you're feeling about like that. You know, maybe Mark's ready to shoot me. I don't know. Um, but teaching is one of the best ways to learn something because it forces you to study So please understand that I'm coming from the perspective today for me that I want to challenge myself. I need to learn more. I need to learn more about disciple-making. I am not the disciple-maker I should be. Pastor Gary is a special person. He really is. He can communicate and he can teach on the fly, and his memory is outstanding of the scriptures and everything else. Um, And he can communicate in such a way that people understand it, and he adds humor to it, he's really good. I think what the scripture is teaching us that not everybody is a Pastor Gary. Not everybody is one of those disciples that, you know, was a preacher of God's word, a teacher. However, going back to our original verse from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, what does he want us to do? He wants us to be disciple makers. Now, I need to clarify that disciple-making process, um, it doesn't matter whether you're working with somebody that has, they don't have Jesus as their Savior, or if it's somebody that's been following Jesus for 40 years. It doesn't matter. What we need to do to develop disciples is to make relationships with people. The most effective way to be a disciple-maker is to make relationships. For some of us, this comes naturally. They're good at striking up conversation and being friends. You know Bobby Dahl, he's got friends around the world. I mean, it just comes naturally to him, doesn't it? He can do that. However, for a lot of us, it takes intentionality. We have to work at being a disciple-maker. Here's the cool part. God has made us all different. He's given us different interests, different talents, different skills. So when we rub shoulders with everybody in life as we go through life, inevitably we are going to come into contact with somebody that we tune in with. We have the same interests, talents, and skills. We understand them, and they understand us. Here's where prayer, time, and effort come into play. We need to pray for these people make an intentional effort to make relationships with them. If we let Christ, in, if, if Christ is a part of our lives, we will be a mirror of him, and eventually they will see Christ in us. Jesus, as the, just as the disciples watched Jesus, they were, they'll be watching us. They were inspecting us. They'll be inspecting us and And if we are a true disciple of Christ, they will be inspecting Christ. And all of a sudden, someday, they they might come up to you or they might be going through a real hardship in their life and they'll say, why in the world are you always happy? I see it in you. What's different? And you'll be able to explain to them that it's because of my faith in Jesus that I I have this, this faith or this, this happiness in my life, and you can share that with them. Sometimes we have the great honor and privilege of leading this person to Jesus, and to be honest, there's hardly any greater joy 
than to pray with somebody and lead them to Christ. Servanthood and disciple-making go hand in hand. So let's look at a few examples. Cookie-cutting. Disciple-making is not a cookie-cutting process. Not always a cookie-cutting process. But you can use it. Maybe you like to bake. You can cut out cookies and you invite someone over to your house on a Saturday morning and they like to bake and you're baking cookies. And you're, oh, now what do we do with all these cookies? You know? But you're talking, you're working with each other. Now you give these cookies away to a friend, you know, an elderly person down the street. Now you're building relationship with them too. Collecting guns. Maybe you like guns. That's your thing. And you've got a bunch of them. You find out that a neighbor collects guns too. So you get together and you show all your guns off. And, yeah, look at this one. And you talk guns. That's your thing. But you're building a relationship. Maybe it's repairing cars. Maybe you love painting cars or whatever. So... You have that interest and you find out that someone else has that interest, you build a relationship with them. Maybe you work on someone's car that needs help, you know. Uh, they don't have the money to, to fix it. You get together with these, this person that has the same interest and you're building a relationship. Maybe it's computer skills. I love people with computer skills. They can help you out. And you can share that and you can build a relationship how about homework? You young people in, in school, you see somebody that's struggling with a class, maybe you can help them out with homework and you can build a relationship with them. Talking politics? Not my cup of tea. Maybe it's yours. And you can talk politics with somebody. Giving a ride to somebody, you can get groceries. Maybe they don't drive and you, you can take them, get groceries. Attending sporting events. Can you see it? You're sitting in the bleachers and you're talking, you're eating popcorn and you're building a relationship. Or playing basketball. Maybe you just love to play basketball and you could shoot hoops together, build a relationship. Gardening. People that have gardens, they, it seems like they always over, over plant and you get too many cucumbers and you know how that goes. And you've got to give this produce away. So maybe you bring it over to someone's place and you build a relationship or you garden with somebody. Maybe it's fishing. The guys that are out fishing, do you think these guys are building relationships right now? Maybe, I never thought of this, but maybe there's some guys that really don't care for fishing that much. They're just there to be with the guys. And that's important. We're just scratching the surface here. There's ton of other things. Hopefully you, this is helpful. You can spend time with people making relationships by sharing your interests, your talents, your skills, and whether this person knows Jesus or not, you know, you can build a relationship. If, you, if it's an old timer that's known the, known the Lord for 40 years, you can get together and you can tell each other how good God is. You can share stories how great God is. Friends, you see where I'm going with this. Disciple-making should be intentional. It was rather easy for me to come up with all these examples because, you know what? 
I see it every day from you guys. In this church, I see so many of you do relationship building, using your talents, your skills, and working with each other, sharing the Lord in those ways. I'm so proud of you. Maybe you're not the best at explaining the gospel. It, it just makes you cringe. You just you get all tense. As I said, it doesn't come naturally for most of us. But what we can do is build relationships. And in time, when the Holy Spirit prompts, you'll be surprised. That open door that'll come, and you'll be able to share the gospel with them. Be ready, because it'll come. That day will come. God will give you the wisdom and the courage when that time comes. We need to be intentional about disciple-making. And maybe cookie-cutting is part of that part of that process. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that it shows us a good example of how you want us to, to serve you, how you want us to reach and develop people for you. Lord God, please be patient with me as I don't do as all that I should be doing. And Lord, to show us those people that we should be relational with and, and, and building relationship, relationships with. Give us the courage to share your gospel when we have the opportunity. Father God, bless us today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.